This interview is brought to you by our friends at 78 Sports. As coaches, all we really want to do is coach. We don't want to waste time searching around with a bunch of different companies trying to order new equipment, get our fields ready, or make sure our facilities are fully stocked. That's just too big of a hassle and takes way too long. That's where 78 Sports comes in. Whether it's replacing L-screens, putting in new batting cages, or even designing a new indoor facility, 78 Sports has you covered. They are a full-service design, supply, and installation company, so you only need to make one call. As an exclusive offer for our podcast listeners, 78 Sports is offering special pricing on your order when you mention Ahead of the Curve. Give them a call today at 844-478-TURF to get your order started. You can also check them out on their website at www.78sports.com. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-Y, the number 8, sports.com. What's up and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast is powered by Stick and Ball TV, the baseball and softball streaming platform. If you're a coach and you're looking to get better, then Stick and Ball is just for you. With weekly updated videos from some of the best baseball and softball coaches in the country, it's a no-brainer. Check them out at stickandball.tv or on the Stick and Ball TV mobile app. On today's show, we have on Rachel Folded, minor league hitting coach for the Chicago Cubs. And she is the first female in the Chicago Cubs organization to do so. She also recently launched EliteFastPitch.tv, which is the most comprehensive hitting drill library available for softball players. Now, players from all around the world can train with Rachel and her team. A little background on her. Rachel is a former professional softball player and national pro fast pitch, and she was drafted out of Marshall University after being a four-time NFCA Division I All-American. Rachel still currently holds Marshall career records in batting average, hits, home runs, RBIs, total bases, and walks. On the show, we discuss what the transition into professional baseball was like for her, we discuss what it's like to coach male athletes and female athletes, and we take an in-depth dive into training timing and adjustability. You're going to love this episode with Rachel Folden. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been a, a follower of yours for, for a while, and, and I'm excited to get to dig in uh, with you today. And so for those you know listening who may not be familiar with you, you are one of the first women who it was in professional baseball as a hitting coach. And you just mentioned that, that you're going to be you know, in the AZL next year again uh, with the Cubs. But I do want to, I, I want to talk a little bit about what the transition was like into professional baseball for you. And so I, I, I mentioned off the mic that you, or I, I went back and listened to an episode that you did with Justin Stone and Travis Kerber, love those guys. And you talked about you, you were either like the first woman in professional baseball uh, or like maybe one of the few. So like, let, let's unpack that a little bit. Cause I'm sure that that was just a, a crazy transition for you. And I, I'm just thinking of all like the, the craziness that goes along with that, but I'd love for you to hit on that for us. Sure. Uh, so full-time coach, uh, it was actually a tie between myself and Rachel Balkovec. Oh, nice. And awesome. there's kind of a cool story that goes on there, but there've been uh, some part-time female coaches in the past. Um, I know the Oakland A's have, have brought in two of them actually. So uh, we've got, um, Justine Siegel and Veronica Alvarez, both of them have come in as guest coaches for, for the Oakland A's. 
and they're awesome. I you know, have a friendship with both of them, which is really cool, especially going and navigating through this process for sure. Um, but yeah, when we, I was actually working at on a consulting job with elite baseball with Justin and Travis. And at the time, Rachel was working with driveline. And so she came and was doing another consulting project on the side. And so we were actually working with Northwestern softball team at the exact same time. Now, both of us had been hired by our clubs, but it wasn't official yet. And cause they announce every hire at the same time. And so we both knew we had the job. We both thought we were the only ones doing it. And the Northwestern coaches are the only ones that knew that both of us were, had been hired at the same time. And so they kind of like whispered it around and Rachel came up to me. She goes, dude, did you get hired by the Cubs? And I said, yeah, she goes, I got hired by the Yankees. I was like, Oh my God. And instantly I was like, Oh, thank God. It's not just me. So I gave her like a big hug and we became friends after that, which is pretty cool. So it was just a really odd story that we were in the same place at the same time. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a fun ride so far. Like there have been some things that I was not expecting. And then there's been a lot of things like just coaching is coaching. So um, that I was yeah. pretty prepared for, but you know, it was, it's, it's, I'm enjoying my time in baseball. I'd like to do it for a while for sure. So did you like, did you, so I know you played softball at Marshall and I think you're in the hall of fame there and, and you know, just a subtle, subtle plug there for you. Uh, but did you always have a dream of being in professional baseball or was it just something that you just saw how the tide was going? And you were like, this would be an amazing opportunity. And, uh, cause I, 10 years ago, I'm, I'm sure that I don't, I don't know if that had ever crossed your mind or not, but I'd love to hear more. So I did want to be in professional baseball as a player when I was a kid, mm. for sure. Uh, come from a big baseball family and I played little league baseball. I played till I was 12. And then eventually I just kind of got shoved out of baseball. And at that time, basketball is my best sport. So I just was like, that's fine. I'll just go play basketball. And then ended up playing softball. And I've told the story a million times, but, um, you know, just kind of like played softball because I was good at it and it was fun and it was a lot like baseball. And I really enjoyed being around women because when I played baseball, I was the only girl and it got old everywhere we would go. That was all anybody wanted to talk about. Oh, this team has a girl on it. And oh, this girl's, you know, she's pretty good. Like she could throw, she could do this, but it always came back to the fact that I was a girl. And so I never really got like credit for just being a baseball player. And so, but I've always been a baseball fan. I've always mm -hmm. kind of framed my coaching in a, a sense of softball kind of always gets the watered down version of things and baseball seems to be on the forefront of things and so i've really tried to stay and learn a lot from baseball and never really leave that space just because i love it i i'm, I'm a huge fan of the game i watch games all the time and so uh did i always want to work in baseball as a coach no i that kind of came along the more that i got involved with uh, Justin and his company with elite baseball. And when he brought me in, he said, well, we want to really like use you to, to push our softball side of our business. And I just said, well, if I'm going to be involved in the softball side, I want to be involved in the baseball side too. And he said, okay. And so once I started working side by side with the baseball side of things, it was very, it was a very natural transition into that. Just, I don't know if it's just because my personality or just because I had really great leadership and all the stars kind of aligned where it was just a really, really good fit. And so, you know, when, when Justin went and started, he got hired by the Cubs as the director, it was all of a sudden, like when he needed to fill major or minor league hitting coach positions, I was a very natural fit for that. And so when he asked me, 
he was like, Hey, you know, do you want to interview for a, for a hitting coach position? And I was like, yeah, like that sounds great. And I had no idea what the heck I was getting myself into. Um, I just knew that I could coach a little bit. And so went through the whole interview process and got the job. So that was pretty cool. I love that. And I love hearing the background behind it. And it's just, it's so cool. We're in such a, an interesting time in baseball. And uh, one of the things that, that again, alluding to the the previous podcast that you did, you talked about, okay, the differences between the baseball and softball swing, which there's not one. And then you mentioned, Hey, we've been solving the rise ball problem for, you know, as long as you've been playing. And so tell us a little bit more about that for, you know, I'll, I'll put the, the, the link to that, uh, that podcast in, in the show notes for those wanting to go listen to that, but t- that, that really intrigued my interest. So go into more about that, please. About the, like how we're working on. Hit yeah. The yeah, yeah. I'd love to hear that. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty funny because you see like, you know, I was watching the world series this year and you see like Travis Darno hitting with a split grip bat, right. And it's got the, the, the tape in the middle. So there's that. And then you see like, hitters start to like Nelson Cruz hits with a split grip. And so you see these players go to it and everyone thinks it's like this revolutionary thing. And it's like, I literally played with like four or five teammates that like hit like that full time and they always have. And so when I would face Monica Abbott, who threw 78 miles per hour in her prime and you're just trying to catch up and everything's going up because she has really ridiculous spin on her ball. It's like, I'm just splitting the splitting my grip and just trying to get a barrel on top of the ball. And that's essentially what it's like for a lot of guys hitting a high velocity, you know, back spinning fastball. It's, it's essentially the same thing. And so, you know, you do have a lot of experience with that. Now at the, at the level I coach right now, we're not seeing a ton of, you know, super high RPM top of the zone fastballs with command, you know, we'll get them, we'll face guys that throw, 95 to 100 we we do face those guys um on occasion but they they don't have a lot of command at the lower level at rookie ball so they're not gonna like just sit there and live at the top of the zone but it does the way that we train is obviously we're training guys to to get to the next level and so we do prepare them for that we do a lot of split grip drills you're seeing that a lot in in baseball a lot of people are adopting that it helps you get some feel for not losing the barrel behind you and staying you know on top of the ball or however, any, you know, whatever terminology the hitter wants to use, but that's been very effective training since I played softball in college is that was like, that was like a thing that we did, right? If you had a girl that threw hard and she threw rise balls, split your hands and give yourself a chance. And so, um, you know, it's, it's kind of cool to watch, you know, baseball, the softball world takes so much from baseball because baseball has the money to have the technology and tell us what's happening in the game and then work backwards from there. And it trickles down to softball. It's kind of cool to see softball kind of providing something to baseball. And I don't know if baseball is actually taking it from softball. I know I am just because that's, that was my experience as a player, but it is, it is kind of fun to see. I, I am a, I'm going to fully admit that I live in a softball state and I, I'm starting to realize that, you know, with, with, you know, the world series, college world series being here and then university of Oklahoma doing so well that, you know, when I was growing up, it was all about Oklahoma football, but it, it's crazy in Oklahoma during the college world series time. And it's, it's been really cool and, and getting to know JT. I mean, those guys absolutely mash. And we, we talk about all the same stuff all the time. And it's, it's just so interesting how, 
much of a just it's 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 not a divided thing anymore it's 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 there are differences uh and and you've alluded to that as well but it's just so interesting of, of how much of a correlation there is between the two and, and softball is a lot of fun to watch it's so fast-paced yeah i mean i enjoy i enjoy doing both um you know i i appreciate the the history of baseball and how mm-hmm. much it's evolved over the years and getting to watch that happen you know decade to decade right you just see sure. like baseball when you know i grew up in the nineties and, you know, mm-hmm. in the, in the steroid era. So it was just like yeah. ridiculous. Right. And then you're watch you watched it just like, like come, come back to the, okay, heavy, con- heavy on the contact. Right. And then you started to see the power take off again and strikeouts went up mm-hmm. again. And now I think you're starting to see it come back to more of a contact heavy um, approach by a lot of guys. And, and we're sure. seeing a lot of value to that. And watch it in softball too and softball right now for lack of a better term is in their steroid era where everything's just leaving the yard right because mm-hmm. hitting is way ahead of pitching right now and um i'm not saying that softball players use steroids just so everybody's clear but <laughs> okay, um sure. it's it's the it's we're in we're in an era where balls are leaving the yard with regularity mm-hmm. and i think you're going to start to right. see it come back down too um yeah just i like i like coaching both of them just because sure. it gives me a different you know, perspective on, on how to coach. It just adds another like tool to my toolbox that I get to coach both. So I do like in the off season, no I primarily work with softball players. No doubt. That's cool. Uh, so if there are coaches out there that are listening, cause you've been able to do both and we'll, we'll get into a lot of baseball stuff here in just a minute. Uh, but if you were going to give advice, cause I I've never, I've never coached girls. Uh, and so if you're going to give advice for, and you, you've been able to coach girls and boys, which is, you know, coming from a female, it's, it's very rare. But I would love to hear what are your thoughts on on what the differences are between how to how to coach because we talk about coaching to the individual all all of the time, and I've experienced a lot of like that's being coaching males has been the only thing that I've ever done, and so it would be completely different I would think just based on personality for girls. But I would love to hear what have what has been just some different things that you've noticed between uh, coaching males and females, and then and how do we get the best out of both. So this is a great question. I think the challenge for female athletes, especially when you start coaching like high school players or college players, is you're fighting how they've been coached in the past. And unfortunately, for some reason, people are very much okay with their boys doing hard things and failing, but they're not okay with letting their little girls fail. And so, again, we teach them like, the watered down version just so that they can have some success. Whereas with boys, we're a lot more patient and we can see the forest for the trees a little bit. Um, and, and we can let them fail and stumble through their youth years. And so with I, like, to me as a, as a human, as an individual to individual, the, the gender makes no difference to me. Just treat them like a baseball player, treat them like a softball player, whatever sport they're playing. And mm-hmm. understand that like that particular individual has certain things that they need to that they're dealing with or certain things that they need to overcome. Right. And so it does become just more individualized based on person to person, but I don't think it Mm -hmm. necessarily has to do with gender, but you're, you'll find a lot of like softball players just like haven't had access to good coaching because they just, most people just want their girls to be okay and not fail versus being Mm -hmm. great. And I, I think that that is an obstacle that as a coach myself, I've had to overcome is, you know, when we start introducing creativity and variability training, which comes with a lot of failure, mm-hmm. the girls 
initially they they panic and i i, I see that with the with the, the guys a lot too but the guys sure. you could see it's like a lot of them are like okay like fine if this is how it's going to be then then we're going to play and we're going to we're going to figure out a way to beat this drill whereas a lot mm -hmm. of girls would just kind of like crumble because they've never no one's ever let them fail no one's ever let them mm, try and fail and so i i think that there's the way that that girls and boys are kind of raised or you know their their coaching village i think contributes to that and it, it, it does bring a different dynamic to the table for sure I love hearing that, and and thank you for going into that because again, I've I've never coached uh, female athletes, so I was curious. But you did mention adjustability training and uh, chaos training, whatever you want to call it. I would love to go more into that. And so let's let's talk a little bit about this time of year. You know, we're in in the preseason. We're getting guys and gals geared up, ready to go. Uh, and I know here in Oklahoma, we start scrimmaging in about a month and a half. And so you're thinking spring training. Most of the most of the people around the world, especially in the South, are gearing up, ready to go. So what should we be doing this time of year? And then we can kind of expand off of that. So if you're like a youth player, in my opinion, right now, you should like be resting and working, resting your your baseball muscles, for, for lack of a better term, or resting your softball muscles. So giving your arm a break, giving your swing turning one way, like give it a break. And but I think you should be working on your body. And so usually in the off season, in the winter time is basically the only off season that youth players have nowadays, right? That's they play all year round, they find tournaments in domes, and they travel to California to Florida. And then they don't get an off season. And so right now is like that one month window right around like Thanksgiving to Christmas, where people kind of like take take it in, they slow down, they maybe spend some time with their family. So like, I don't think we should stop training, but I think we should stop throwing and stop swinging right now, aside from like maybe the occasional like one-on-one -on -one lesson or, you know, class or whatever, but it doesn't need to be every day like it is in season. And so, you know, right about for a youth player, I would say right about February is where you can start to ramp your training back up a little bit to taking the weights like, getting them to like where you would max out a little bit or getting to your like maximal strength level for wherever you're training and then start to taper off and introduce more skill training and then more of a maintenance for your, for your strength training. Now as a pro player, um, there's people that have way more knowledge on this than, than me, but usually what we see is a slowdown of, of activity right around like October, like right after the season's done. And then they usually start to pick back up like, middle to end of October. So they give themselves like a month long blow. If it's, if they're, they're major league player, it's usually they start right around like Thanksgiving time. And then that's when they start to, to start swinging again um, and ramping back up. So it's, it's different. Um, but I think training, you should, you should work on your body all year round, you know? Um, and it doesn't mean that you have to go hard all year round. There's a lot of recovery that goes into it, but it's, I, I think your body should be something that you keep in good shape all year round. That's just how I think it should go. No doubt. No doubt. So we're actually uh, getting ready to start ramping them up, ramping, you know, arms up and, and getting ready for scrimmages. And so I'd love to hear, you know, you, you talked about, I, I, maybe it was my term chaos training, but uh, getting, getting, you know, 
getting guys and gals ready uh, from an adjustability standpoint, from a timing standpoint. So if you would just kind of open up the box of things that you can share and just different ways that you like to train those things. And, uh, and yeah, we'll just go from there. So like how I like to do it. And I think it's just, it makes things organized. It, it makes things like you should always have some sort of like hitting routine um, that you can always go back to now. Your routine can change over time, but there should be like a designated 10 to 15 minute period every time you hit where it's like, these are my drills that I need to get me right. And for whatever reason, they could be very basic from I hit outside tee, I hit high tee, like that could be very basic, or it could be like, I swing and I don't, I, I have no stride, split grip, stop at extension. Like that's, those are drills I need to get me right. And so what I like to do is people and it's a conversation with the player and there's movement screens and everything. Let's find a routine that's going to help you get from A to B. And so if you get to B, we'll revamp your routine to get you from B to C, right? If need be, if you don't want to, that's fine. Right. But it's a conversation. Let's fight. Let's figure out a routine. And then, but I think every day the accuracy of your barrel should be challenged. And so there are so many hitters that swings are not, aesthetically pleasing or necessarily mechanically correct that they can put a barrel on a baseball or a barrel on a softball and they hit. And so there's value to that. And I do think that that's trainable. I think for a long time, we thought that was like something you were born with, just like we thought for a long time that the power tool was something that you were born with, but I do think it could be taught. I've seen it. I've seen barrel accuracy improve quite a bit. And I think that that should be challenged. So, you know, instead of just, you know, you see it all the time on the internet, the the standard like flip underhand flips and like coach feel good BP, like there's time and a place for that, but it's not as much as we've done it in the past. And I think we're starting to move away from that as an industry and, and challenging the accuracy of your barrel. I think it's, you should be able to, every time you pick up a bat, the accuracy of your barrel should be challenged because that's what you're doing in a game. And so I don't, it doesn't mean you have to hit live. It doesn't mean you have to see hundred mile per hour heaters at the top of the zone. That's not what I'm saying there. There's value to that too. But at some point, like challenge the accuracy of the barrel, make the bat longer, make the bat shorter, make the bat heavier, make the bat lighter, um, change where you're standing, change how you're standing, change what you're standing on. There's so many ways to do it. And I think, um, you know, that variability training really, really helps you build good bat to ball skills, which that's that's hitting is being accurate sure. with your barrel. Yeah, and uh, I'll allude to <laughs> for the nth time uh, the podcast you were on, and you talked a lot about different angles too. And I want to throw that out there because I, I I love uh, going at different angles, just helping them with working on their path and things like that. And uh, you can go into more of that if you, if you if you'd like to. Sure. I mean, I love angles. Like, there is not a drill if you if you're if you're hell-bent on doing drills there's not a drill that i like or probably use more than like a closed angle toss like from so if you're a right-handed hitter from the shortstop side of the pitcher or if you're a left-handed hitter from the second base side like that you cannot hit the ball to where you know we put targets out there give them a visual of where they're trying to mm -hmm. hit it but like you cannot hit it to the opposite field gap unless your path is solid or unless your contact, you have very good awareness of your contact point. So like, mm -hmm. to me, that drill really exposes a lot of swing flaws to be able to do sure. it consistently correctly. And then 
if you're doing like an open angle toss or, you know, some people call it like a front hip drill, like where you're throwing at the front hip and you can stay inside the ball and drive it up the middle. That to me is also another good sign of like, you have a really good path and you can, you have an accurate barrel because if you don't, either that ball is going to jam you and get in on you, or you're just going to snap hook it, you know, and get around the ball, which you can do because it's just Mm -hmm. tossing, whatever. But that's when you, you know, okay, you've got this down. Now let's progress it and move to the machine. Let's do angle machine or let's do angle BP um, overhand. You know, you can, you can progress it from a, from an underhand flip. I don't, I don't think, I think like as a hitting coach that doesn't want, you know, sometimes you don't really necessarily want to mess with swings. Maybe you just want to expose the flaw and let the player ask for help. Angle toss is Mm -hmm. a way, a great way to do that. No doubt, because if their path is bad, they're eventually going to be like, "Okay, what am I doing?" <laughs> so yes. we're like, "Okay, exactly. cool. This is a good conversation starter." No, I love uh, challenging with different angles and stuff like that. And then, then you like we've I've even seen guys with like, "Hey, we're never going to see this angle." And you're like, "Yeah, I mean, you're right." Like Chris Chris Hale's not even on this, but this could mimic a slider moving away from you or a slider moving into you, and you having to adjust your barrel to hit it more out front or a little bit deeper, you know, whatever it is. Uh, one of the, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about, uh, you've been the lead lab tech and just from reading that online, I have no idea what that entails. And so it's super intriguing, but I would love to hear, I I don't know if you still are. And and I'd love to hear more about that too, but I just want to know, like, what are some things that really caught your attention and were really surprising to you? Um, I think that's like a, I think it was a title given just because I was going to be in Arizona all year. And so if we needed to fly someone to use the hitting lab or if we needed someone to like always be all hands on deck to, to run the hitting lab, I was there permanently. Uh, every oh, cool. hitting coach in our organization knows how to run the hitting lab. And so, which I, I really, our organization does a great job at that. Um, what goes into it? Um, some stuff I can tell you about, sometimes, some stuff I can't tell you about. Um, of we have marker, we have markerless motion capture. Cool. We have, um, we have like force plates. We have we use K Motion, we use Blast, um, we we use we use a variety of, of tools depending on what we're trying to pick out. So um, you know what I like about us is we have a very very integrated organization. So when we if strength and conditioning flags something and it shows up in their swing, we can work very hand in hand with them and we have data to back it up. And so that's really what we're trying to do. Um, is just come up with the things that every player needs to be successful. And if that is, hey, you're you're late on the fastball. And every time you get a fastball, you're late on it. And you're crushing off-speed pitches, sliders, change-ups, you're crushing it, but you're late on the fastball. And that player doesn't believe you. It's like, okay, well, let's get in the lab and we'll show you. And so we can use it to basically make our jobs easier and to communicate with the player and always have, you know, a, a bullet in the chamber that when the player questions like, Hey, I, you know, I, I don't know what that means, or I don't feel that then we can show them. And so um, a lot of it is, is a very integrated approach with R and D R and D will come to us at times and say, Hey, we've noticed, you know, this is wrong with player this, and we would like you to, to work on it. Well, we can get in the lab. And the cool part about it is, because we have so many cameras in there and, and video is like the greatest way to connect to the players, right? Like there's, there's data and graphs and I geek out about that as a coach. Um, I, most of our coaches in our organization do, and we love to look at it and 
really dive and dig deep into it, but the player is really just going to say, okay, but like, how does this translate to my swing? And so we have to be able to understand it and give it to them. Um, but yeah, I, I think our hitting lab is, is next level with what we have in it. And, and I'm really proud of it. And the lead lab tech title just means when needed, we can all turn everything on and make sure that it's running smoothly. And then someone else <laughs> collates good. the data and everything, you know, our, our, our R and D department has built a insanely good um, like data collection system that mm -hmm. we all have access to, and mm -hmm. it's it's re it really makes our life easier. So they they're more the lead lab techs than I. Let me tell you that. <laughs> sure. No. And so one of the one of the questions and one of the things that I, I think is really interesting with with tech is you said that a lot of it is integrated. So you have a lot of different things and then you can kind of filter them down and kind of see how they all work together. Is there value in having one or two pieces of tech uh, without a whole lot of context? Cause that, that's why I feel like, you know, you, you see a lot of things that are going, you know, going wrong or, or maybe quick to, or, or quick to jump the gun on some different things. Uh, it's cause you know, we, we have, we have a lot of tech. Let's let's say you know we have you know blast motion sensors or we have a Rapsodo, uh, and I, I just want to know like what are your thoughts on just grabbing certain data points uh, versus you know having all of that in context? Because I, I don't think we can. I don't think most amateur programs can have all of that stuff. So is there value in having different things for different things? As or just how would we uh, value that? Because I you know. You have the motion, the blast uh, motion sensors, which doesn't really uh, do pitch type or, you know, what you're training, unless you really, really dig into it. Uh, you've got your Rapsodo, which, you know, it measures uh, outgoing data, but it doesn't necessarily have incoming data. And so there's always different things that it that it goes with. And so I guess long story long, how do we use those effectively rather than just, you know, trusting what the data is telling us without some of the context that it needs? I, I have told everybody and, and I get asked this question a lot, like, you know, th that's just going to confuse the players. Isn't that going to confuse the players? And it's like, well, I, we're, we're measuring stuff and we're only really going to look at it if we're prepared to coach it. And so if you're not prepared to coach what you see, then ignore that data, because if you're not prepared to coach it, then it's useless, right? It's, it's, Every time you hit a ball and put it in play, it has an exit velocity and a trajectory on it. But if you're not measuring every single ball, like that's okay. You can see stuff with your eyes too. So, you know, not everybody's got access to, a, you know, a billion dollar organization that can build a hitting lab like I have, right? I, I've, I've run my own facility for, for years now and we had blast motion, a pocket radar, and I borrowed a K-Vest nice. and mm -hmm. just measured everybody and like literally had no idea what I was looking for, but just tried to find correlations in it. But I also was prepared to coach it, you know, like mm -hmm. if I saw something, I was prepared to coach it. So what I would say is like, always start with like the stuff that like jumps out at you, you know, like mm -hmm. bat speed's an easy one, right? If you have a kid that's 10% less bat speed than everybody else on the team, well, start there. Okay. Sure. If a kid has, you know, Start with statistics right that's data if the kid is batting 200 and wondering why he doesn't play well let's start there okay well he's hitting 200 all right fine now why is he hitting 200 now that's a deeper question so now we got to work sure. backwards from there 
So I think it's just really, like you said, it, you don't need all of it, right? You don't, it, I don't need all of it as a coach. I shouldn't say R and D they need all of it, right? Sure. Cause they're yeah, looking for correlations and they're looking for what works and what doesn't work. And that's their job. My job is I got to make it applicable to the player. Mm-hmm. So I don't need all of the info because I'm not going to give all the info to the player anyway, because I don't want to dome them up when they're in the box. Right. So sure. my job is just to make it applicable. So I think it just kind of depends on where you fall as to who's looking at the data. You know, are you a coach? Are you analyzing the data? Are you collating the data? Like what's your, what's your position? But I always say like, don't, don't use it if you're not prepared to coach it. Cause if you're not prepared to coach it, you're just telling a player like, Hey, uh, your bat speed's 10% less than everybody else. And the player's like, okay, how do I get better? And you're just like, I don't know, swing harder. Like that's, yeah, that's not going to sure. cut it, right? You got to be prepared right. to coach it. Otherwise just don't give it to them. No doubt. No doubt. And, and, and I, I really, I like the approach of, okay, after taking all of these things into consideration, here's the one thing that we feel like is going to make the biggest impact. You know, you hear lowest hanging fruit and that's kind of been a buzzword the last couple of years, but I think it's so true of, okay, let, let's take what we have and let, then let's figure out, you know, with video, with other coaches opinions, with their opinion, with their mentality and, and, uh, and taking all of that into consideration as well. Uh, but just, I think blindly trusting anything is, is a really hard way to do it. Uh, but just, you know, for the coaches out there that are, that are listening and they're like, oh, you know, Rachel's got all of this different cool stuff. And you're like, at the end of the day, you're a coach and you're understanding what feel is like, and you're, you're taking the players, emotions and opinions and previous uh, experiences into consideration before you just go, Hey, you know, your external rotation on your lead elbow and de- ulnar deviation and your wrist. And you're just like, no, no, no. Like here's what we're thinking. Here's what you think. What, you know, what, and so I'd like to hear too, have you had a player that you guys have flagged something and you've gone to them and I would love to hear just what the opening to that conversation would be like, because, you know, you're dealing with professional baseball players all the way down to, to youth kids. And so they've all had previous experiences. So what, what would a, what would a conversation starter be like with that? Um, Because I, it's again, asking them to change anything that they really believe in is really tough. So I'd love to hear advice on that. I think, I mean, you got to build trust with the player. Like mm-hmm. that, I, I got hired and this is something I had to learn. And like everyone who knows me really well in the organization will probably tell you the exact same thing is like, I used to be at the facility. So I got paid for my opinion. Right. So people walk in the door and they're like, give it to me, give me what you got. And it's like, okay, like that's why you're here, right? You're here and you're paying by the hour. So like, I got to give you the information that I can make applicable to you in an hour. When you go into pro baseball, you're like, these guys are already professionals. And so I've got to, I've got to let them come to me, right? Before we just start going in hot. And a lot of times it's just like, Hey, like you got any kids? Oh yeah. You know, I've got a daughter and she lives in the Dominican Republic. Um, you know, with my girlfriend, it's like, Oh wow. Congrats. How old is she? You know, just getting to know him as a player. And then the next day, Hey, how's your daughter doing? Right. Remembering, let them know that you care. So first you got to sure. build like that trust and let them know that you care. And then once you got them there, like I said before, it's like, sometimes, you know, as a coach, you're like, this is a problem and this is going mm-hmm. to be a problem. And it has been consistently a problem, but I can't tell you that because you're so married to your swing right now that like you're, you're going to be resistant to the change. And I don't want, I want this to be, it, it's always sticks better. It's stickier when it's their idea. And so sure. a lot of times what I'll do is I'll just create a drill that exposes whatever flaw they have. 
And when they can't do it and they get frustrated, they're like, what am I doing? Like, how do I do this? It's like, okay, so here's, here's what I see. Okay. Now remember like two games ago when that guy threw that, you know, those two consecutive fastballs on the outside corner and you fouled them both off and you miss them. Right. And that's like something that you, that's a pitch that you normally like to hit. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Okay. Well, that's the same thing that's happening right now. So here, let me explain what I see. And they're like, Oh my God. Okay. Now I feel it. But it's like, Sometimes you got to let them come to you and say, Hey, like, how do I do this? Like, how do I win the drill and start there? And then you can build up and use context clues. Like, you know, what's happened at practice at BP the previous day, or maybe what's happened in a game from a week ago, or they've been in a slump and, you know, every player wants answers when they're in a slump. The hardest part is when a player's like going well and you know that like, they're just getting lucky, right? They're getting, they're not getting exposed right now. Let's put it that way. And it's like, you don't want to diminish the hot streak because you don't, those don't happen very often. You don't want to like Mm -hmm. cut them down while they're up. But at the same time, you're just putting stuff in your back pocket and you're just putting stuff, you know, Andy Haynes, he's, uh, he just got hired by the pirates actually. Mm -hmm. Um, I know him pretty well. And I listen to him speak and he's like, you're just, all you're doing is just saving your bullets. Mm -hmm. And so when that player comes to you, you better be ready to shoot and you better have, have a bullet in the chamber ready to go. And you just save your bullets. Oh, there's a bullet. I'm just going to put it here. And when that player comes to you, you, you have to be ready because they're not going to give you two hours to explain it to them. They're going to give you like, give me something that I can use right now because Mm -hmm. I got to go play tonight. And so, you know, you gotta, you, you gotta have that feel of a coach of like, here's what I see. Do I say something or do I hold on to it for a minute and let them come to me? Because I think, you know, baseball is notoriously patient, which I'm very, very grateful for and youth sports are not. And so, um, (laughs) youth sports, like, you know, my kid needs to get recruited now and she's 12. It's like, no, she doesn't, but okay. (laughs) I understand. And so, you know, it's, it's a, it, it's, it's a really interesting dichotomy, but it's really helped with like, I have to know when to speak and when not to speak, but most of the time it's, it's just better when the, when the player drives the bus for sure. No doubt. And that's, that's the tough thing is, is I've been wrong on players too, because I've been like, oh, that. You know, that's that's not going to work. And then they end up hitting like 320 in the big leagues. Hunter Pence was like that guy for me. I was like, oh, man, that, this dude is just so lucky. And then, you know, 10 years later and like nine all-star game or whatever. And, and it's like, OK, OK, well, I was wrong. And uh, I, I think <laughs> right. we've all we've all had those moments for sure. So with uh, with with the, the next thing that I, I really want to uh, dig in with you is timing. And, you know, you. Uh, you talked with, again, I, I love the podcast that you guys did. And so I'm just trying to pick uh, different things uh, to be able to go into that I thought were super good. And, and so we can go in more in depth about it. But you mentioned a Franz Bosch quote, and you talked about understanding the outliers so you can try and figure out how to time up things in between. And that's the very dumbed down version of Jonathan Gilner trying to understand Franz Bosch stuff. But dig dig more into that because I feel like, man, it's trying to get players to understand this innate thing of timing other than like, Hey, go on release or start on handbrake. And then we'll talk about contact points, but it's like, it's, it's really a, a hard conversation to have because it's so internalized and it's so individual to the player. So I, I like, I'm having trouble. And so I would love, love some help with this. Well, we would all love help with this. I'm going to be honest with you. Like if you could get our hitters to be on time, like 10% more often, I mean, like that's, that's a career changer. Right. And that's such Absolutely. a small number, but that's a career changer. Like 
the way I look at it and I was a, I mean, I was a good hitter when I played and like the way that I always approach timing is like, when do I start my move? So like timing of my movements, but then where do, where do I need my barrel to be to hit the pitch? And so I think where a lot of players run into a trap and I, I think we, we coach this way too. It's like, well, the damage is done out in front of the plate. And it's like, okay, like that is true. Okay. That is, that is a hundred percent true because more swings are uphill out in front of the plate than they are behind the plate. Like I, I get it. Okay. That's true. But when we talk to a player about that, are we telling them that they need to like, are we taking a player that swings like, and I'm just going to use him as an example, cause he's got big moves, but swings like Javi Baez and that player who tends to in front of the plate kind of like hook a bunch of balls or kind of get on top of balls a little mm -hmm. bit. Are we telling that player to go get balls out in front because that's what's best for him or just because that, that's what we think is, is happening. Maybe his yeah, contact good. point needs to be further back. He's got a big inward turn. So maybe his contact point needs to be further back. Now here's the key though, is like, if you look at where the ball is when he makes contact and his body, it's probably the same distance or close to it as like a Mike Trout who needs to hit more balls out in front. It's probably the same distance from ball to chest or ball to hands or whatever fixed point you want to use. So it's like, we got to be careful as to like teaching guys to be early on everything when maybe that's not the best approach for them. And so it kind of goes back to when you go to the timing of movements, like you're, your movements or your mechanics, I should say, and your approach have to match. And if they don't, it's really difficult. Um, you know, and you'll have a lot of guys that grow up in a, in, especially kids that grow up in the United States, they sure. have a very like oppo pushy approach. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you tell them like, Hey, listen, like your swing actually works better and you're going to have more power to the pull side. And then they're like, well, no, I hit the ball that way. And you're like, you have hit the ball that way, but you're, you're going to hit better. And we know that because like, again, we can measure most things. And mm -hmm. so it's like, we know that, but try So now the approach of the player doesn't match what their mechanics are telling them to do. And so their timing is going to be off. Right. Sure. So there's that aspect of it. But then there's also, like you said, like when to start and picking up the pitch because the pitch is going to screw with their timing too. Mm -hmm. And so like, to me, the best way to do it is like, start at where you need to make contact and work backwards from there. And so you can do that in the on deck circle. And then you can do that by challenging timing. And like we were talking about before, you can speed the timing up. You can slow the timing down. You know, you, you said something before about like, well, the angle toss, like I'm never going to see that in a game. And it's like, mm -hmm. well, you're never going to see a pitcher throwing as slow as me in a game, but you figured that out. Like <laughs> sure. you figured out how to hit my BP, you know, like mm -hmm. I throw 55 to 60 miles per hour BP, like you figured that out. So like make another adjustment. And right. so, you know, that like you can make it slower, which in most cases makes it easier. And then you can make it faster, which in most cases makes it harder. And then you can work in between. You can also like expand the zone. Like I love having like rounds and BP of like, you cannot take a pitch. I don't care where mm -hmm. I throw it. You have to swing at it, like hit and run rounds, whatever you want to call them but no take rounds are great for the hitter to understand like, Oh, okay. Like I had to be on time to hit that pitch. That was two inches off the plate outside. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of like builds their awareness that way. Um, but yeah, it's timing is, is the, 
the one thing that I think is it keeps a lot of players from being really, really good. Yeah. And, you know, we, we're, we're really good now at making swings pretty efficient, mm-hmm. but how people pick up the ball, the, the human aspect of it is, is freaking difficult. And you know what? Pitchers ain't making it any easier on us. <laughs> no, not they, at all. Like it's, it's crazy how like deceptive pitchers are now and how much they can just like, even like, like a Johnny Cueto altering his leg lift every once in a while mm-hmm. and just getting someone to feel uncomfortable. Like you, when you're not locked in, it's hard to hit that way. And so, right. you know, it's, it's a, it's a very interesting, there's so many variables that go into it. And I wish I had a good answer for like, this is how I coach timing, but I don't, every player is a little bit different because sure. some players are innately good at it and some players really struggle with it. And you just have mm-hmm. to like keep drilling with it. If you have players that are laid on fastballs, keep exposing them to fastballs. You know, and if they're if they're at the big league level and I, I mean, I don't coach at the big leagues. I'm not even going to pretend like I do. But I'm just saying if you have someone later in their career who has been laid on fastballs their entire life, but they've still been successful. Well, it's like, OK, well, then go hunt off speed pitches and hope you don't get a fastball. That's you kind of are who you are at this point, you know, so, um, you know, go do what you got to do. And, you know, there's a lot of ambush hitters that have a lot of success um, for a long time in the big leagues because they don't miss fastballs when they get them. And that's the pitch that they look for. So, you know, it's, you can have holes. You just got to manage your holes. Right. No, and I, I think that's really good. And you, you talked about matching your approach to your timing. Did you mean like Justin Turner leg kick? And then you've got like, I'm thinking Daniel Murphy of this, like the toe touch, they're going to have two different timing mechanisms. Yeah. I mean, I would think so. Um, I would think the gather to me is a, that can be at your own pace, like the gather or like the negative move or whatever terminology you want to use Mm -hmm. when you're, when you're kind of like at the beginning of your leg lift or you're starting to load into your back hip. Like that to me is different for everybody as to when you start, but the forward move is almost always the same. So like, or, or it's very, very close. You know, a lot of times at ball release, someone is already on their way forward. Um, and with the exception of I'm sitting on a Zach Grinky curveball and maybe I'm just going to like, you know what I'm saying? Like there's right. obviously going to be mm-hmm. different differences to it, but, um, the forward move I think is, is the thing that hitters struggle to time the most. And I think that's what gets people in trouble. Sure. Well, I'd love to hear, you know, you, you mentioned having different tools in your toolbox for different pitchers that we see with different timing mechanisms that are tunneling. And I, I love the game planning aspect of it. And I think, you know, we, when, when you coach and I haven't coached for 40 years, like some guys have, but we've been going through different cycles. So I think we're around the same age. So around like the mid 2000s when the iPhone came out everybody started really digging into video and 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 figuring out okay what's what does efficient mechanics look like and what are the pros actually doing versus you know when my dad who played with Clemente was telling me to swing down and like roll my hands over at contact because that's what Clemente did and so like looking back I'm like oh well now I can see why he did that because he had such a he swung a log and so he had to feel yeah. that but um anyways long going off off topic here but uh, like the mid 2000s 2010 12 ish was like the mechanics era and now all of the, all of our kids have grown up in that era in the and the data and tech era and so they're 
they're losing some of the innate side of things. So the game planning and the backyard baseball type stuff, which it's it's not a bad thing. It can be a competitive advantage for us, but it's different conversations that I'm having now than when I used to. And now it's like we talked about timing. Hey, what what pitch are you seeing? What pitch would you see in this count? What are they going to try and do to you here versus when you're sitting? Well, like where, where you're at in the lineup versus what pitches are getting you out. And they're not thinking and having those conversations, which, again, use that as an advantage. Uh, if you're listening to this going, yeah, I have that. If, if you're listening to this, it's it can be a competitive advantage for us. But I think that it's different. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you are helping your players with game planning, too. And plus, you've got the added bonus of a lot of your uh, players are, are Spanish speaking. And so it's going to be a different conversation with them and, and some of them you're going to have high school kids. You're going to have fresh out of, you know, college Ivy league schools kids. So you've got this big mix of, and uh, you might have 16 year olds and 22 year olds, who knows, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, how do we, how do we, you know, communicate a game plan? How do you communicate, uh, you know, what pitches that are seeing, what are those conversations look like? And I know that I just threw a lot at you when we could have a whole episode on this, I'm sure, but dig into that a little bit with us. Well, so like, at the AZL level or ACL, we call it now, like the Arizona Complex League, we don't always have the advantage of knowing who's pitching that day until about three o'clock and we play at six o'clock. Oh, nice. So there's <laughs> not a lot of game planning that goes on. Um, as soon as we know, I give the information out to the guys in whatever, whether it's printing out a sheet um, mm-hmm. and, and just sitting there and while they're warming up, you know, running back to the office and typing something up that they can use in the game. Um, but a lot of it, I think especially at the lower levels and the youth level when it comes to game planning is like having a player understand their identity as a hitter, that can go a long way um, with just what am I good at? You know, if, if I'm good at this, then let me stick to that plan until the pitcher forces me to upset my plan. Right. So if I'm, if, you know, I was a lefty hitter in softball and because of the way the arm angle comes through most pitchers are right-handed. They're going to miss arm side. It's very, it's common in baseball too, that we miss arm side, but I just saw a ton of pitches away from me. And so I got really good at hitting them and I could go left center. I could go over the fence, left center, whatever. So I knew that about myself. So I knew that that was what I was good at. So I was willing to give up the inside part of the plate in a lot of cases because I didn't care if the pitcher had that. If they made one mistake over the outside part of the plate, that was going to be my pitch. And I just had to make sure that that. I didn't miss it. Mm -hmm. So there's, I wanted all the information and I want my guys to have all the information too, to be honest, especially because as they get older, those pitchers have so much information on them. To me, it's like, well, it's the least you could do to have all the information on the pitcher too. But I have that and at the youth level you don't know who the hell's pitching unless you're playing a high school game and you know that so-and-so is the friday guy or college and you're so-and-so is the friday guy and it's like okay i know who's pitching that day as a youth player you're like uh it's travel ball we play again at one o'clock i don't know who we're playing yet and you don't know until you show up to warm up and so it's like you're what i i like to do is like always make sure that as a hitter you know what your identity is and what you do well and that will take you a long way because once you get one time through the order, you should have a pretty good idea of what the pitcher's doing now. Sure. And so now it's like, okay, do I have to upset my plan or can I stick to my plan because this is what I'm good at and play mm-hmm. to your strengths? You know, I think a lot of times we play defense with the bat in our hands instead of playing offense. We forget that it's an offensive game that we're playing when we're up mm-hmm. in the batter's box. 
And so we end up playing defense based on like what the pitcher's going to do to me instead of playing offense of like, I'm going to force the pitcher to throw me my pitch, mm-hmm. you know? So there's, there's a different mindset to that too. Sure. No, I really like that. And uh, a, a lot of things that we're trying to implement now is, is how pitches feel. And I know that that was something that in dugouts, uh, whenever we were growing up, that was communicated really well. And I don't, I don't feel like that that is right now. Again, we didn't have any data to go off of. And so uh, now it's, you know, hey, this guy's it's quick out of his hand and he's got a lot of ride to it. Okay, cool. Now we know what that means. And again, using that as it's just a way to create a shared language and a bond and, and something that if we have nothing about the guy, then we can at least get a couple people through the lineup and, you know, figure it out from there. But I really like that. And uh, I've got a couple questions before you go. I know uh, you're super busy, but I really want to dig into, you know, some personal learning that you're doing. So I'd really love uh, to, to know something that you have learned lately or something that you've been digging into lately that's gotten you really excited. Um, you know, honestly, like this is going to sound so funny because I'm on a podcast where everyone wants me to give them information. The, the thing that I've been digging into the most is work-life balance, dude. Like, mm. I'm going to be honest, yeah. like baseball Preach. has given me, especially professional baseball, that we value, we grind hard through the season and we value our off-season and we value our family time and we value our, our off-season time. And as a facility coach, you can't, right? Like you can't do that because if you're not working, you're not making money, right? If you, you're literally getting paid by the hour. And so... I've been just like grinding like six days a week for 10 straight years and no off season. And it's like, now that I'm in baseball, we value the off season and we value like personal growth. And so I'm starting to, to get to detach from it a little bit more. And it's hard for me because admittedly, like this has been a, we talk about routines, like it's been a routine of mine to just be like, dude, six days a week, like, let's go to work. Let's go to work. And I have people asking me for lessons. I'm like, yep, I'll take you. I'll take you. We'll add it on to the end of the night. And then I'm there till 1030. And it's like, I don't do that anymore. And I'm really, really embracing that. And I'm, I'm a lot happier. And to be honest, I think I'm a better coach because of it. So I have a lot more time to, to listen to podcasts like yours, which I think is the best baseball podcast on the internet, to be honest. And, uh, you know, I, I listen to it a lot. And, getting to dive in and listening to other people talk and have more, have time for conversations, I think Mm -hmm. is, is very, very um, important to, to me now. And, and something that I'm really grateful for baseball that it's given me that, that, that time. Sure. No, I, I, I'm right there with you. New year's resolution is trying to figure out a way to be a continuous learner without, you know, making my brain mush. (laughs) And so I love that. Uh, second question is what is something that you, it doesn't have to be recent, but what is something that you've changed your mind about? And I think we all have theories and we all, you know, we're, we're continuously trying to push the, the envelope and the issue of, of, of getting things more right. But what's something that you've either recently changed your mind about or you changed your mind about in the past? Um, let's see. That's a good question. I would say, let's see from a, hitting perspective is, I mean, I guess just being more open to like listening to other people. Like, cause again, mm-hmm. like in baseball, it's, it's a corporate structure, right? There's sure. hitting coaches, there's, then there's hitting coordinators and then there's directors and then there's directors of player development and there's, it's a chain, right? So at any given time, we've got seven guys looking at one player swing, right? 
mm-hmm. six or seven guys and we can pick the brain of all of them. And like one thing that I've, I've really embraced is I don't have to be right all of the time because I have help. Right. right? And so like yeah. one thing that I've changed my mind about is like, and it's not an ego thing. It's not like I need to be the reason why I need to be the person that tells this guy that makes the swing change that he goes and makes the big leagues. I, I don't care. Like, to be honest, I've never cared. It doesn't bother me, but it's a, I don't have to like lose a ton of sleep at night wondering how I'm going to get this guy right. And just internalizing everything. It's like, now I can just pick up the phone and call somebody and be like, Hey, can you sure. take a look at so-and-so like this is, so just being more like, proactive about asking for help that's something mm-hmm. that doesn't come very naturally to me um and so because i've always had to do things you know myself that's just kind of i've run my own business i just try to do things myself and so le- leaning on other people is it, that has i've learned to do that and i i will never unlearn it forever i will always call and ask for help because i think that that's just something that i, I hope everybody's surrounded by good enough people where you can get a, a different perspective mm-hmm. than your own um and yeah like and and another thing too i i've actually said this before i've never ever ever paid any and i'm talking like since i've been i've been coaching i was a college coach in 2009 that was my first my first job like i've never cared about how someone stood in the box like i'm just like no that's you man you stand however you're comfortable like don't care and you Mm -hmm. realize now that like how you set up can affect everything that happens in the chain later and like how you can get into certain positions. And so I, that is one thing where I've like, I went from, I don't care to like, let's make sure the setup is correct. Cause that's, you can control that. The ball's not flying at you yet. I'm in the box. Mm-hmm. I can control that. So let's make sure we get that correct. Um, that was a big change for me too, is like, holy crap. Like how many kids did I let slip through my fingers just because they, their setup was off, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, that was that that's something that i've i've learned and and really started to pay attention to sure so two comments first one on your first answer could not relate to you more than than that asking for help i man that's that's tough for me and so i uh, will have to continue that dialogue with that with that journey uh second thing is i i feel the same way and are so are you talking about setup in their body like how they are facing and relation to the pitcher uh with like all like the whole thing okay and then with relation to the plate as well yes all of it like like in the box yep are you putting yourself in a position to be as successful as your swing will allow you to be right Mm -hmm. so you know to give like a very basic crude example if you've got a player that cannot hit a high fastball right like they just for whatever they're under it every single time right and you just know it you just hope you don't get one okay cool sometimes it's like okay well their natural feel is like to just get their hands up here it's like i need to feel like i'm on top of the ball right and then they load and they have so much speed going downhill that they they're just making the problem worse right so you're like okay i know this is going to sound weird but maybe instead of starting with your hands up here like maybe start with your hands like you know, use them as an example earlier, like Justin Turner, like start with your hands lower and allow them to work up so you can get on top of the ball versus making the problem worse. Right. And now then there's the other guy where you're like, Hey, try putting your hands up here. And all of a sudden he can hit the high fastball and it's like, okay, so it worked. So it's just like tinkering with those little things. And like guys, I find, I find don't really 
push back too much when you tinker with their stance as much as they do when it's like you start tinkering with their swing. Like mm-hmm. there's a difference, right? Like they, they take really good ownership of their swing because they, they want to move fast. And when they feel restricted, that feels weird to them. But like, mm. Hey, take your hands from here and lower them to here. Guys are like, okay, like I could try that. Like that doesn't feel too weird. Or like, Hey, you know how you hit with a slightly open stance, maybe even your feet out and start to stay, you know, try to stay more neutral. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. I could try that. They're much more open to it because it's, it's a, it's low risk, right? It's like you said before, it's like low hanging fruit. It's low risk, mm-hmm. but it can reap huge benefits just because it allows them to move into a better position. No doubt. No doubt. I, I, I couldn't agree more with all of that. And I it, it would even uh, throw in grip, like how they grip the bat. Cause I think that that's a really interesting thing too. I could, I could, I had to give a 15 minute presentation on grip. Uh, we have like, we had our coaches give um, presentations and I got grip and I was like, how oh, nice. the hell am I going to talk for 15 minutes <laughs> on grip? And yeah. I figured it out. And you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. Like I, that's a hill that I will die on is like how people grip the bat. Cause I think that mm-hmm. just puts you in such a bind when you're just mm-hmm. not gripping it correctly. So I'm, I'm with you on that one. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, last question and, uh, we'll, we'll let you off the hook, but, uh, what is a drill that your players love that we can steal from you? And it could be your youth players, softball players, professional baseball players, any and all of them. But what is something that you want to leave us with that is just like we can put into practice tomorrow? Um, I think the the a drill that like players get the most excited about is uh, we we call it like like a ninety percent drill. Okay, so basically like if you have like a hit tracks or a rapsodo or a radar gun or whatever where you've measured exit velocity we'll say okay this is your 90 percent round so basically you're not allowed to swing at a pitch unless you can hit it at 90 percent of your max so the kids like it because they're able to swing hard and they're trying to hit it but it also like for me as a coach i'm like you're learning how to select the pitches that you can actually hit that hard which is phenomenal like that's you're only as good as the pitches that you swing at right so like it's it's on the coaching end i love it but also on the player end it's fun because it's like oh i can sure. let it eat you know mm-hmm. but then and you think like okay 90 percent they're going to swing out of their shoes and chase everything but they don't because if they can't hit it 90 percent, they don't swing at it and those sure. end up being like 50 50 pitches that we probably don't want them to swing at very often anyway and so it's it's a it's a fun round that that I really like to do um, and something that obviously you need some some tech to accomplish that. Um, but another one that I really like is when you use a pitching machine, um, you can either go inside, outside, middle or high, low, middle. And it's basically like kind of what we're talking about. Like, here's the, here's the edge of the zone. Here's the edge mm, of the zone. I like that. And then the last two rounds, here's the middle and the last two rounds, they just rake. And it's just like, oh, okay, like I get it now because it was like, here's the edge and edges are hard to hit, right? Like the top yep. of the zone, the outside part of the, like edges are hard to hit. So the success rate is low. Second round success rate is low. They're probably better at one of those than the other. And then you just tee it up for them in the middle and they just rake and it's just like, holy cow. And I, I really like that one on like game days. I think that sure. one's a really good one. No, I've been doing that lately because I feel like a lot of 
uh, teenage kids feel like they can cover the whole plate and, and like they just, they can't. And so just understanding what you hit well and moving it back and forth and be like, okay, like you can't cover all seven balls with, which we use letters for all, all seven letters either. And it's like, it's impossible. So when you're less than two strikes, where do we need to be sitting? And so that I, I'm going to steal that one from you uh, because I really like that as well. And it just exposing them to, you know, what their swing is good at and then just trying to hammer out, you know, what they're, what they're already good at. But Rachel, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't have had a more on, uh, awesome conversation with you and looking forward to more. But I did want to leave you with the opportunity to talk to just our, our listeners. Uh, if you have anything that you'd like to tell them or anything that you'd like to leave with them, here's your chance. I'm going to mute myself and uh, and let you roll. Um, I just want to say, obviously, say thank you for having me. Seriously, I'm like a huge fan of this podcast and you do a great job. So I appreciate it. And I'm honored to be on here and talk a little bit about hitting and, you know, do all the things I like to, I like to do. Um, we just launched a website. It's called elitefastpitch.tv, And it's basically every drill I got on a website and there's a drill filter and everything. So um, I highly encourage everybody to sign up. It's really important for me that the the stuff that I do, I do this with lessons and everything. I, I want it to be affordable and I want it to be easy to use. And so that was really what went into to the site. So if you guys want to check it out, um, I would appreciate it. But otherwise, just thanks for having me, Jonathan. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review wherever you are listening. I also wanted to remind you that you can find the video portion at the AOTC channel on stickandball.tv. Have a great week.